All right, open your Bibles to, uh, to the book of Judges chapter 3. And I'm going to preach in the month of August on four different judges from the book of Judges. There's more than four, but I'm going to pick out four and preach on their lives. Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, and Samson. And I'm all doing it with the theme of God uses common people to do uncommon things. God uses normal people to do supernatural things. So I'm just titling this Unlikely Heroes, okay? And I've never really done this. I've never taken it in an expository way and kind of walked through the book of Judges. So I pray it's a blessing to you as we go through these. So today I'm going to talk about Ehud or Ehud or if we were Hebrew, Ehud. But we'll just stay with Ehud. Okay, And we're going to talk about his life. Let's open our Bibles, Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms or of Jericho. What's happening here in the book of Judges is this is really an experiment in theocracy. It's an experiment that God intended the people of Israel to live in a theocracy. What is that? That is a governmental system where God is at the head. There is no king. There is no Congress. There is no Senate. God is in control of everything. He speaks his word and will to his people His people obey His law and worship Him, and God blesses them, protects them, and keeps them safe from enemies, and prospers them. That is a theocracy. That's the way God intended this thing to happen. It's really how Israel had been living since they came out of Egyptian bondage. God raised up a man, Moses. Moses led them by hearing God's voice, and then the people obeyed. And then even after Moses, Joshua took over. Joshua began to conquer the promised land. And God used him as his his leader, his military captain. It was still basically a theocracy. And it is here. And God, I think, intended Israel to be like that. However, they couldn't obey the Lord. They couldn't stick with the program. They kept failing. They kept sinning. They kept backsliding against God. And it's a cyclical problem that happens all throughout the book of Judges. God would bless them. They would be protected and highly favored. Then they would start walking into idolatry, disobeying the Lord, and God would allow a foreign power to come and take them captive. This happens over and over and over. But when they would be oppressed to a certain point, They would then cry out to the Lord and ask God for deliverance. And God would raise up a deliverer. We have the book called Judges because of that Hebrew term that's been translated in English as judge. But really it has more of a sense of a deliverer. God would raise up someone to set them free. Then once they would be set free, they would live in peace and freedom for a while, and then they would fall back into the same cycle of sin. And what's happening in Judges is we're making way and opening the way for the coming of the kings in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. 
And if you remember in the story of Samuel, Samuel the prophet, when it was still a theocracy, the people were demanding a king. And Samuel comes to the Lord and says, God, they're they're rejecting me. I'm your prophet and they're rejecting me. And God says to Samuel, no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They don't want the theocracy. They want a king like the other nations around them. And so that's why they get the kings in the books of First and Second Samuel. But at the end of the book of Judges, it's a terrible state that they end up in. The last verse of the book of Judges says, There was no king in the land, and everyone did according to his own heart. Or whatever he felt was good, he did. It's really... Everyone was a law unto themselves at the end of the book of Judges. But God used certain people throughout the book of Judges mightily, and His Spirit would come upon them. You know, we often think as New Testament believers that the Holy Spirit wasn't given until the day of Pentecost, but really the Holy Spirit's been active in the Bible since Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Read about it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Holy Spirit is all through the Old Testament. And especially in the book of Judges, it's a powerful study to just study the movement of the Spirit in the book of Judges because the Spirit would come upon men and women and they would do great deeds for the Lord. Difference in the New Testament is the Spirit's come upon us and has come in us. And he lives in us now. He would come upon people in these days. So what happens? The people were in bondage. Verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon king of Moab 18 years. Verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ahud the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon king of Moab. You know, God can use anybody. God can use anyone He chooses. And God has made a habit of just using common people like you and I. Amen? God has made it it His program to just use individuals like you and I. And it's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to look at three things here that show me how God uses common individuals. First thing is, God just simply uses people. To do His will. He uses people to do His will. I've thought about it a lot. Why didn't God just come down and just say, I'm here, I'm God, here are my angels, take care of everything, see you guys later. But He didn't do it that way. He came down and God Himself took the form of a man. Jesus was God in flesh. God Himself came down, took the form of a man, lived a lowly life, and God poured His glory in Him, and He became the Savior of all mankind. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible isn't a story of perfect people. The Bible is a story of a perfect God who uses imperfect people. I'm going to say that again. For I'm going to say it out loud for those on the back row. The Bible isn't just a story of perfect people. It's a story of imperfect people and a perfect God who used them in spite a lot of times of their imperfections and junk. So punch your neighbor and say, you are a candidate then, I guarantee. God uses people to do his will. In the, listen to this, in the book of Genesis, 
In chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned, fell, sin entered into the human race. Genesis chapter 6, the sin had grown so great that God said, I'm going to wipe everyone out. And he did by a catastrophic flood. Then you would finally think mankind would get the picture. But by chapter 11 of Genesis, here they are all gathering up in the plains of Shinar and they build a statue to heaven and it was an offense to God because it was maybe astrology involved, but also they were trying to be like God. And it's like, come on guys, Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 11, failure, 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 judgment, judgment, judgment. God came down at the Tower of Babel and confused their languages so they couldn't communicate with each other. And it's like all hope is gone. Man has failed, man has failed, man has failed, all hope is gone. And then we turn the page to chapter 12, and the Bible says, and the Lord spoke to Abram. When all hope was gone, when judgment after judgment came upon mankind, God called a common man to hear his voice, obey his word, and bring about the beginning of redemption for all of humanity. Why? That's the way God works. It's what He does. When all hope is gone, He calls a man. He calls a woman. He calls a child sometimes. He calls an older person. He calls whoever He desires to call. And He calls them to make a difference and to change the situation. Come on, somebody. Shout amen. Come on, you raise your hand and say, God, use me. On. I, I'm a candidate today, Lord. Use me to change this situation. God calls a man. God, call, You know, I'm just thinking about American history, and you think about some of our greatest leaders, like Abraham Lincoln, who God had really fashioned through him growing up, born in Kentucky, grew up in Illinois, grew up, uh, you know, rough, learned to read by reading the Bible at home with his mama, and then had failed and failed again and failed again. And then by the time he came to leadership, he was the man for the hour so some of you maybe been walking and you've just had problem after problem or maybe you've had failure after failure, but you're still in the game. You're still fighting and you're still believing. You're still living for the Lord. Who knows when your defining moment will come? Who knows when history will open up a door for you? Or who knows when the time your family needs you, you're going to stand in the gap. Or when your community needs you or your church needs you or the mission field needs you or the, the town needs you. Who knows when your defining moment is when God says, I need you now to come on the stage of history and do my will and do my bidding. Say it with me. God uses people to do his will. Second thing I see in this is God uses our strengths. God uses our strengths to do his will. We talk about a lot how God uses uh, us in spite of our weaknesses, and, and we all know that's true. But I see something happening here. It, in this story, it says that Ehud was left-handed, and he was a Benjamite. He was left-handed, and he was a Benjamite. So I researched, and almost every sermon I could find on Ehud, people had preached it this way. 
Being left-handed was a weakness. And so God will use you in spite of your weaknesses. Okay? And so, because maybe in the ancient world, left-handed was considered a weakness. But as I look deeper into this, I don't think that was what was going on at all. Because the word for left-handed in Hebrew could be interpreted as ambidextrous. And then if you look on over into Judges chapter 20, it says there were 700 left-handed Benjamites who were so skilled with a sling that they could hit a target within a hair's breadth. Now, does that mean all 700 of those guys were left-handed? Actually, the history of the Benjamites were they could fight ambidextrously. Meaning they were trained possibly by putting their left hand behind them and tying it behind them and learning to wield a sword or a slingshot with the left hand or the right. Can somebody say bad to the bone? I'm telling you, they were bad to the bone. They could fight with the right hand. If they got tied up, they could fight with the left. They were trained in both ways. Can somebody say Rambo? Rambo. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I don't know. I just think this story's bad to the bone, man. It's not talking. I don't think it's talking about his weaknesses at all. It's talking about his strength and how incredible of a warrior this guy was. And we see he uses this skill here in a few minutes. And not only that, he was the one selected by his brethren to take tribute or a gift to the king of the Moabites. He was the one selected to do that. So he must have been some man of renown or some man of fame or some man of importance that he was chosen to do that. So notice what happens here. You know, God will use your strengths. Some people believe that when they come into the kingdom, they have to just, well, everything I did in the world, I guess, isn't going to be used because i got to be a holy man now. But you know, God will use the strengths He developed in you even before you came to know Him. God can use those strengths for His glory. Amen? I mean, maybe you learned to play music in the world. Maybe you played in band or you played in rock bands or you played in orchestras or something and you just thought that was going to be it but then you get saved and you realize oh my gosh here's a whole here's a whole world of music that God can anoint and sanctify and use for his glory and I can use those skills for his his glory Maybe some of you are business people and you have great business acumen and you came into the church and you thought, well, I'm not a Bible teacher and I'm not a missionary. Well, God knows we need the business people in the church. We need the people who have that knowledge. We need the people, you know, there's a great message on kings and priests and it's for another time. But God has anointed some people to be leaders and kings and people who uh, operate in the business world. And then God's anointed some people to be priests, to walk in that prophetic teaching. Uh, Anyhow, that's a whole message maybe for another time. But use the skills that God has given you. Use them for the kingdom. Jesus went up to fishermen... And he said, now be priests of men. Come on, Bible scholars. Did he say that? No. He said, now be Bible teachers of men. Now be be fishermen of men. What were they? They were fishermen. He said, now take what you're doing And now use it for the kingdom purposes. You know how to catch things. Figure out how to catch men. 
You know how to bait the nets and the hooks or whatever. Now just figure out how to do that in the kingdom. Use the skills you have for the kingdom good. Can somebody shout hallelujah? So what happens to to Benjamin? (laughs) What happens to Ahud? Verse 16. Now Ahud made himself a dagger. I mean, not only was he a bad-to-the-bone warrior, he could make weapons. He made a dagger, and it was, a, it was double-edged and a cubit in length. Some translations have this as 18 inches. Other scholars say it was more probably like 8 inches because he could hide it on his thigh. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute... He sent away the people who carried the tribute. So he had a group of guys with him who brought all of the goods. And once they had presented their gifts, he he released them to go back. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people. Verse 19, but he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal. Get this picture. He says, okay, guys, let's go. We've given the gifts. Okay, y'all go back home. I got a little business to take care of. And he turns back. And he goes back and he tells the king in verse 19, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, keep silence. All who attended him went out. So the king dispersed everybody and they're alone, just Eglon and Ehud. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And I'm hearing right now, If I could whistle that, I would, but sorry. (laughs) I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ahud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ahud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked it. This is a rated R story. It really is. It's a rated R story. And you're thinking, gosh, what brutality. But we got to think about the overarching spiritual thing that was going on. God was setting His people free from bondage. God was answering His people's prayers. And the prayers were answered through a guy who had boldness and backbone like a crowbar who could go in with great skill and get shrewd enough to find a, a private audience with a foreign king and kill him like that. Lock all the doors behind him. And when his attendants come looking for him, they think he's in the bathroom. And so they don't want to disturb him because he's using the bathroom. And they wait there, the Bible says, until they were embarrassed. And then they finally got the keys and opened the door and found the king on the floor dead. By that time, Ahud had already made it back to his people. And what did he do? Did he go into hiding? No, he went and grabbed the ram's horn. I'm into sound effects this morning. Hallelujah. 
And he blew the ram's horn. And all the warriors gathered to him and they marched out to battle. And the Bible said the Moabites came, or the Midianites came and they were, uh, they were able-bodied men of strength and Israel cut them down like nothing. Hallelujah. What's God got to do with all of that? What does the Lord have to do with any of that? God was answering His people's cry and He was using a common man, bad to the bone common man, but He was using a common man to accomplish His will. That tells me that God uses vessels like you and I to transport His power to people. He uses vessels like you and I to carry His glory. He uses you and I as answers to somebody's prayer. How many people are praying right now and you might be the answer to their prayer? How many people need the gospel and you might be the answer to their prayer? Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. How many needs a word of encouragement and you just might be the answer to their prayer? How many need someone just to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them and, and speak life into them and you might be the answer to their prayer? Or how many children need a good Sunday school teacher or a nursery worker and you might be the answer to their prayer? How many people on the mission field right now need a word of encouragement, need somebody to financially help them out to accomplish something and you might be the answer to their prayer? Come on, somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord a praise. God uses common people to accomplish His will. He uses us as vessels to carry His glory. Why does God do it like that? I don't know. I thought, God, why do you use people? I mean, you know, people have issues. I heard a man years ago said, ministry would be great if it weren't for all these people. <laughs> but that's what it is. That's the way it rolls. People have issues. People have, but God still uses people. He still uses people. James Dobson said this years ago, he said, when you're looking for a church... When you find that perfect church, don't join it. Because you are going to mess it up. Okay, word of advice. Don't join that church because you're, you're the imperfect one that's going to mess everything up. This, isn't, this church isn't perfect. You know how many, I love this story. There's a story of a, a guy who went to a certain town where great leaders came from, and he rolled into this town wanting to kind of research the history of it, and he pulled into the town square, and there was an old man sitting on the, on the bench, and he rolled down his window, and he said, is this where all the great leaders were born? And the guy responded and said, no, just babies have been born here. That's <laughs> all we give birth to is babies here. It takes something to be a great leader. It takes a common person who commits themselves to an uncommon task, right? That's what God's calling us to do. Some of you have been called and you've been hiding that calling. And I'm coming after you today. Because I believe Fountain of Life has some future missionaries in our midst. 
I believe Fountain of Life has some future pastors in our midst. I believe Fountain of Life has some future Bible teachers, some future worship leaders in our midst. Just look at who God has already produced from this church over the past 100 years. There are many ministers in our conference that came out of Fountain of Life Church. There's a lot of great workers that have come out of Fountain of Life Church. Hallelujah. We have a church in Edenton right now that was founded by you guys who went out and became the workers. We sent out an unlikely couple to go pastor that church. I sent out some people who weren't preachers. And I sat Kyle and Tiffany down and I said, we've been praying and we feel like you should go plant it. They said, what? (laughs) They said, if you would have told us we were going to India, we would have been less surprised. Let us go pray about this thing. They went and prayed about it and came back and said, we're up for the task. And you know what? God's using them to do some great things. We have a missionary couple right now in Nepal, in Kathmandu, Nepal. There's a missionary couple there there right now who uh, were former youth pastors of our church here, Chase and Christina Grandstaff. And God is using them to do incredible things. Two common kids from Georgia. Two common kids from Georgia that God just saved and radically got caught on fire. And I remember Chase coming to me in my office and asking me questions. And and he's like, man, I want to get around somebody older like you that's got a lot of wisdom. And I'm like, (laughs) and who would that be, man? I was always the youngest guy in the crowd. And so I loved it, though. He came with such passion and such hunger and, and learned their way. That's how God raises up people. It's how God uses people. We just start where we are. You say, I don't have enough education. Let God train you. I don't have enough money. Don't worry about it. God provides. I don't have the reputation. Don't worry about it. He'll be your reputation. I don't know what to do. Don't worry about it. He'll give you the instructions of what to do. All God wants from you is to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me and use me. I'm a common vessel, and I want to be used for your glory. Come on, how many can raise your hand and say, here I am, God? Think about Isaiah. God comes to Isaiah, and he comes to him and shows Isaiah this vision of heaven. And Isaiah sees the throne room of God. And he sees the train of God's, uh, the, his train filled the temple. And he sees the, uh, the, the, the posts of the columns in the corridors of heaven shaking at the sound of the seraphim crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he sees all this. And Isaiah instantly sees God's holiness. And he says, Oh my gosh, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then God says, Son... Go, and they will not hear you. Speak, and they will not listen. They will harden their hearts. Okay, this is His calling. I want you to go, and you're going to have no success. Because no one's going to hear you. And He says, here I am, Lord, send me. Because I think success was judged differently in God's eyes. Success was He was going to communicate the prophetic word as a witness and Israel would be judged and people wouldn't hear Him. But He said, yes, Lord, I'll go and I'll do Your will. We're going to pray here. And I want to pray for those of you who feel a calling in your heart. We had a powerful prayer time in the early service for the same thing. And some people came up and said, Hans, thank you. 
you were stepping all over my toes or I, felt, I feel called, I just don't know what to, I just feel something in my heart. That's, that's, that's all we need, okay? But I'm going to tell you this before I close here. Moses, in the book of Exodus, Moses was called to go to Egypt and go before the king of Egypt and tell him, let the children of Israel go. And how does this happen? He's up on the mountain. He's up on the mountain in hiding. He's been in hiding for 40 years because he killed a man in Egypt. He's up on the mountain and all of a sudden he sees a bush burning, but it's not consumed. And he turns around and he looks at the bush and then God starts speaking to him out of the bush. And the Lord tells him, he says, you know, I'm going to send you down to Egypt and you're to speak to the king there and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And I think Moses is like, say what? I'm going to do what? And he says, Lord, you know, I can't speak like that. He says, don't worry about speaking. I've got your brother. He's already on the way. So all of the excuses we have, God already is in process of canceling all those excuses we have. Before we even admit them. And he says, well, who am I going to say sent me? He says, and he reveals this word. He says, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. And some have said it, it really means I will be who I will be. When you get there, I'll be the same God I am to you right now. I'm not going to be something different. And then he calls him and he says it kind of like this. He says, I have seen the suffering of my people and I've heard their cry and I am come down to set them free. Now, will you go? Let's walk through that again. God says, I am coming down to set them free. Will you go? God is coming down and God's going to do the work, but He needs a man. He needs a woman who can say, yes, I'll be the vessel for you to do your work, God. And what if Moses would have said no? I think God would have said, fine, i got another guy over here on another mountain I'm going to go visit. Catherine Kuhlman, who, who many have said was the greatest faith healer of the uh, 20th century, and I still love to listen to her stuff today. She said one time, she said, I was God's fourth choice. I was God's fourth choice. He uses unlikely people. He uses common people. And he's already come to, God has come down to save Elizabeth City. God has come down to save your family. God has come down to save Ukraine. All he needs are some men and women who say, I'll go for you, Lord. I'll be that voice, and I'll do what you say do. I'll go where you say go. I'll say what you say, say. (laughs) I'll lay hands on who you want me to lay hands on. I'll even give prophetic words. If you Every time I step out and give a prophetic word, every time I give an altar call, I close my eyes sometimes, and I'm not joking. I see myself standing on the end of a diving board. And I know it's a total act of faith. Because I can't save anybody. I can't heal anyone. But I have to, but I have to risk by faith, and God comes and does the rest. So last year, you know, during COVID, we uh, we up, upped our TV equipment, our, our our 
soundboard and a lot of stuff. We, we just said, hey, we, new screens. We said, hey, if we're going to have to do church without being live, let's do all we can. So we, we shut everyone's budget down, and we put a lot of money into this so we could reach out and reach our folks who were at home, who were locked down. And not only that, we started noticing we were reaching people all over the world. So uh, me and Brad started working on it, and we said, why don't we just go on TV? So Ted Shuttlesworth put me in contact with an amazing guy who opened up the door for me and negotiated some deals for me that we could go on in Norfolk, and we started uh, doing a Sunday morning program at 9 o'clock in Norfolk. I've had good response from it. Hallelujah. God provided a great guy working with us here, uh, Brother Danny, who's helped us in amazing ways. And then I had a guy contact me, and he said, hey, would you like to go on TV? It's just a TV interview down in South America. And I said, sure. I get on this television program, and I preach for 18 minutes. Then I give altar calls, and I pray for healing for the sick. It was great. Then somebody said, hey, would you like to be on TV in uh, London, but it reaches Ghana and all West Africa? I said, sure. So I go on this TV thing in Ghana, and I, I preach for 15, 20 minutes, give an altar call and pray for the sick. Then somebody said, would you like to go on a television program that's coming out of Pakistan, reaches 182 nations? I said, sure. I went on there, prayed for the sick, and uh, reached out and believed God. 60,000 people called in, I think, during the program. And then they came back and said, how would you like to go on TV in Pakistan every week? We'll just take the TV show you're doing in Norfolk and we'll just put it on in Pakistan. I said, yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord, am I, you know, why not? Why not? If not now, if not us. Come on, y'all know the routine. So I get this message. I get this message yesterday. And they said, Received this report from the recent television program you did overseas. 399,000 people watched your broadcast. 278 called in and accepted Christ as Savior. Yeah. One lady who was ble- had a bleeding issue got healed, and one woman whose daughter has a, had a tumor in her chest got healed. And it's, it's, I mean, some of the most unreached countries and closed countries in the world are hearing the gospel from Elizabeth City. Come on, somebody. Come on, hallelujah. If not us, if not now, if not here, come on, let's do it. Why don't you be an unlikely hero? Be an Ehud that says, I'll go and I'll risk. I'll turn around from my tribe And I'll go back in a private setting and risk my life to set God's people free. Think of Ehud as a demonic territorial spirit. I'm going to spiritualize it. Think of it as the enemy's camp. That we'll say, yes, Lord, we'll risk and we'll go in and we'll set the captives free. I'll take the sword of your word and I'll go in to the enemy's camp and set the, set the captives free. Come on. Everybody's standing in here this morning. We're going to pray. I want to pray for two specific things this morning. Number one, I want to pray for anyone who's, who's never accepted Christ into their heart. If you've never been saved, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the day to do it. I'm telling you, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't, well, I'll do that when I get old. 
I, I can't guarantee you you're going to be around. I know that sounds morbid, but I'm just stating fact. You need to do it now. Today is the day of salvation. You need to get your heart right today. Then the second thing I'm going to pray for this morning is I'm going to pray for anyone who just feels called. I just want you to come up and we're going to pray for you. I'm going to have the altar workers lay hands on you, pray for you, and bless you. And you don't have to know what you're called for. Maybe you do. Maybe it's really defined in your, in your life. But I, I, I know when I got saved, I just got radically on fire for God. And then I had a desire for the Bible. I, just, my, I, I was reading the Scripture so much, my parents thought something was wrong with me and wanted to send me to a psychiatrist. Because I had changed so radically. And then I just knew I had that desire in my heart. And then it started being confirmed by my pastor and leadership around me. And then the Holy Spirit started confirming it through prophetic words, through scriptures God was giving me. So if you've got a calling in your heart, just keep just keep pushing in. God will confirm it through His Spirit. He'll confirm it through His Word. And then leadership and those who you're accountable to around you will start seeing that gift in you and start drawing it out of you. Can somebody say amen? Thanks so much for watching us online. We're so blessed to to live in an era where we can come to you uh, on this platform and be able to preach the gospel and worship with you right in your home. I don't know where you are today with the Lord, but uh, I want to close this time with prayer. And whatever needs you have, let's bring them to the Lord right now, but especially if you're not serving the Lord. If you've never accepted Christ into your heart, right now's the time to do that. All you have to do is open your heart and say, Lord, come in. I believe Jesus is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I want to change. You make that decision in your heart, then God's going to come in and he's going to do the rest. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. In the book of Acts, it said, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So let's pray for these two issues right now, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, I open up my heart. I repent of all my sin. And I ask Jesus into my life right now. And I thank you that my sins are gone. And I thank you that my life has changed. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bring before you all the needs of the audience that's watching right now. Everyone who's hurting, they're struggling, they have issues going on. We bring those needs to the throne of God in the name of Jesus. And we ask you, Father, to meet them, to bless right now through the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody can say amen. Hey, we love you. Thank you for following us. Thank you for watching us online. And I hope to see you again.